Hi, I'm Anna Rosa Parker. And I'm Daniel Lamb, and this is Artist Inclusive, the podcast for ambitious artists who want to find clarity, community, and creative success. Hey, Anna, I am so excited to talk about our guest today. And I think that it's only appropriate that you talked to our listeners about Natalie because she is a part of your life, not just on the show, but IRL, as they say. <laughs> yeah, Natalie is my sister-in-law. I am very excited to introduce her and to share her with others. I think she's magnificent and just brilliant and kind person. Yeah, I'm very excited to share this interview with our listeners and community celebrate her career and she has a lot to she has a lot to to offer and again i'm not gonna give away the interview yeah this is definitely one that's worth listening to i when i did my research for this interview i got a little starstruck and a little nervous because here is a woman who is the real deal as a creative writer a producer of amazing work doing this for the right reasons as well yeah that was funny i think you sent me a message saying like because we had just interviewed a movie star and then you know i take it for granted take natalie in a way because she's my sister-in-law and you were saying oh my god you know i'm more intimidated now <laughs> but then you meet her and she's so warm and fun to hang out with and so giving with just her wisdom this was a treat We are live. Hey, Natalie. <laughs> we are live. Hey, Alarosa. Okay, here we go. Yeah, thanks for being on the Artist Inclusive Podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Well, it's nice that you guys invited me. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. No, we're super thrilled. That was, I mean, I'm obviously aware of your amazing accomplishment, but it's kind of funny that Daniel was saying like, oh, I've been doing some research on Natalie and, and she's like, big deal. And it's kind of funny that, no, I mean, you are, but, it, you know, as a family, like you take people granted a little bit. Totally. Like, we talk all the time, like when we're talking, you know, we're married to brothers and, you yes. know, we've been in family for like 16 years. Yes. The Parker like, men. <laughs> <laughs> the crazy guys are our husbands. Yeah. Like when we're on the phone all together talking about food or, you know, life in lockdown and all that stuff. And then I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize that Natalie spent the night at Oprah's house. And how funny. Yeah. All those stories. Well, yeah. Cause you know, we've been there to on the kind of front rows for uh, having a front row seat for each other's careers and just watching us as two creative people kind of find our way in the world. So kindred spirits, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Like when your family, it, like the kids say it hits different, right? The old saying of like, nobody's a uh, prophets aren't heroes in their hometown. It's weird. Totally. Like I always feel weird, like hanging out with my family. They're like, you're just some artist person, right? Totally. What do you do? I'm like, okay. Completely, <laughs> completely. You know, that's that, a regular job. Right. It's yeah. so true. Well, it, that reminds me of years ago, I had just published Queen Sugar and my editor sent a copy of the, the book cover for the hardcover. And I printed it out and I had it on my bookshelf. And my our oldest daughter, Hyacinth, walked in and she was probably 13 or maybe 15 something. And she looked in and she was like, huh, it's like, is she really are a writer? And I was like, oh, my God, such a teenage response. Right. Like, just like, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And when are we going to soccer practice? And like, when are you making me my dinner, mom? Mm -hmm. So no, for sure. Never changes. Yeah. If the kids see you on TV or whatever, it's not a big deal. Then other people are like, wow. It's just mom. 
mom yeah. and dad doing their job, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. it's it's really, it's definitely, you take certain things for granted when it's the closer it is and it's still a big deal. Like, it's just funny to do a research on somebody that you're family with and see the outlook. It's how different that is, even if, if I'm aware of your milestones, it was just a very cool to see kind of the outward, like, what do you look like when people Google oh, you? Yeah. <laughs> but I do have to say, I was very proud to see, like, everything I saw, you're very just authentically you. So that was really nice to see that. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It's the only way I, there's only one me and... It's just easier to just be transparent and be me rather than try to adapt some persona that's not, not me, you yeah. know? So why don't we dive a little bit into like how you started as a writer, like what's your story? Okay, so I tend to be long-winded with these answers, so I'll try to be fairly concise. But, you know, I really started as a writer, I kind of think of two moments. The first moment was really a moment of awakening for me. I was in high school, I was a senior, and it was my senior spring. And I took a creative, I took a short story class with Coach Flagler, who was our high school English. He was our high school track coach, and he also taught English. And he had this class in like the American short story, I think it was called. And we didn't do any writing, but it was just reading and talking about the stories. And I love that class. And until then, English had been like, I'll do it if I have to. But that class was really my first introduction into kind of the world of writing and the world of storytelling. And then the other moment was years later, I went to school and graduated with an English degree. But I had promised my dad that I was going to come back to L.A. and work in this family business that had nothing to do with writing or anything creative. And I was at that business for 11 years, trying to fall in love with it, trying to make myself love it, and finally realized, oh, my God, the time is passing so fast. If I don't do something and kind of follow my dream now, I'm going to look up and in a few years, I will still be here and my dad will want to retire and he'll want to pass this business on to me and I'm going to hate it and I'm going to hate myself and I'm not going to be able to do business. I'm not going to want to give it the attention that it deserves. And so I quit. And that day was July 15th, no, June 15th, 1999. And that was the day that I just stepped out on that ledge and, and thought, okay, well, I say I want to be a writer. I've been writing kind of around the margins of my life since I got out of college and now's the time for me to do it. So to think about your question, it really is kind of twofold. I always knew I wanted to be a writer, but for many years, I just couldn't muster the the courage. You know, I was afraid. I was afraid to kind of step out there and, and take that risk. And until it finally got so bad, I had to. Yeah. You know? And that's 11 years. That's, that's, that's a while. It's a long time. Yeah. It was yeah. a long time. It was, it was, on one hand, those 11 years really dragged because I was so unhappy, wanting, knowing that I was not in the area of my life that I should be pursuing, but just kind of marinating in that anxiety and fear. And on the other hand, Rosa, those 11 years flew by. And I looked up and I was like, holy cow, I've been here for a decade and oh my God. If I don't do something now, another 11 years could easily go by. And I think it was a combination of those two things that made me think I owe it to myself to try. I, I don't care if I fail at this point. I have to answer this question for myself. And then is that when you went 
you went back to school then. Mm-hmm. Is that, that's right, yeah. right? At that point, I'd already gone back to school once, kind of halfway through those 11 years. I went back to get a master's in Afro-American studies with a concentration in literature because I thought I wanted to go on and get a PhD and be an English professor because that's what my younger sister was doing. She was in, she was in graduate school for history and her life looked so glamorous. She had her summers off and she was, you know, a grad student and I was like a working stiff and it just looked so much more interesting and enriching. But I got to the end of that two-year master's program and I realized nothing against academia, but I don't want to be an academic. I don't want to spend my life writing theoretical papers about other people's creative work. I want to do the creative work. But even with that knowledge, I still went back and worked in my family's business for another five years, four, four or five years, uh, until I just couldn't stand it anymore. And then I left and we moved to San Francisco a few years later. Then I went back to graduate school and got an MFA. And then you started Queen Sugar right after. I actually started Queen Sugar when we still lived in L.A. And I quit my job with this family business and I just started writing. And I just sat down at the desk every day and just wrote as much of this story as I could. And I was going to like writers, conferences and residencies and that kind of stuff just to kind of find a community of people. But then after doing that for about three years and just writing on my own, I realized there's some stuff about writing that I don't know. And I may be able to teach myself, but there were there was like the craft. It's like there's a craft of acting and there's the craft of filmmaking and there was the, there's the craft of writing. And I didn't know that stuff. And so that's when I went back to school. It was to learn that. But I was working on Queen Sugar the whole time, all through grad school. Yeah, because you, when I meet you, you are in the midst of. That is true. Yeah, I was like probably in the thick of it, just trying to get through it and manage with the family and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's what I had to do. Well, you've come a long way and now you have your second book out. And I know Daniel was interested in to talk about Yeah, one of the questions that I was kind of curious to explore is once you had Queen Sugar, what was it like to work with publishers and then later with like people who wanted to option it for TV? What was that process like? I think a lot of our listeners are going to be folks who are either working on scripts or working on books that want to go that in that direction one day. Okay, so the process of getting a book published is this. You write the manuscript. In my opinion, you wait And until it is the very best version of that story that you think you can tell. And that takes time. And then you've got to get out and you have to find an agent. And that means sending your manuscript around to anybody and everybody in the publishing world who works as an agent. Because you can't, long ago, you could write something and send it directly to a publishing house, right? HarperCollins, Penguin Random House, Viking, whatever. Simon and Schuster. There used to be a day when they would read that slush pile, right? Though that's the unsolicited manuscripts that come in over the transom, and there's some young intern in a room someplace who's reading those those unsolicited books, right? But those days are pretty much over. Those days probably ended certainly by the early the mid nineties, certainly by the early two thousands. And so, really the best way to try to get a book published after you have written that manuscript is to find an agent. And it's very similar to going on an audition if you're an actor, right? You've got to 
have your manuscript ready. You, it's got to be in shape. And you have to try to find the person, the agency, the literary agent who understands your vision because they are the person who is going to take your manuscript, take this story that you have written and send it around to all of the different editors at the different publishing houses, right? They have relationships with these people. They all know each other. They, you, as an agent, you kind of have a sense of, oh, well, you know, so-and-so at this publishing house likes this kind of book and they want to publish this, or maybe they want to publish a memoir, but you really need that agent to carry you forward. And they are the person who sends out your manuscript. And then if an editor likes it, and even better, if more editors like it, then they make you an offer, right? It's called, they pay you in advance. And that advance is based generally on how well they think that book is going to do in the marketplace. If you're a first-time author, if you've got a great idea and the timing is right and people, you're kind of an unproven success, many authors have gotten big advances, right, for their first novels. Other times, if they like the story, but they think it's a, it, it might sell more modestly, maybe you get a modest advance. It's just like in the music industry, right? When you sign a deal with a record label and they front you that money, but then you have to pay that money back, right? You have to earn what's called earning out. So you sell your manuscript. It takes about a year for it to get through the publishing channels and for them to put it in the schedule. And then assuming you haven't had to take any time for revision, about a year after you turn in the final manuscript, it comes out at, in the bookstores. But that doesn't mean much. It just means that now you have a book that's on the shelf. What you have to really hope for is that your publisher is behind you and believes in that book enough to really go after the marketing because they're like the distributors, right? They're the people who are going to come up with the marketing plan and the sales plan and your book tour, whatever that's going to be. You have to really have that team behind you. I read an article once that talked about there's a difference between being printed and being published. Being printed means somebody has bought your book, put it between two covers, and you can go into a bookstore and buy it. Getting published means that you have the so real support of your publishing house and they believe in the book. And of course, every publisher believes in the books that they buy. Otherwise they don't buy them because the other thing I think about publishing that's that I think people need to understand is that this is a business. Publishing is a business. And I have a friend, Robin Black, who years ago great gave some great advice. She said, keep your skin thin for the art and thick for the business. And what did she mean by that? She means as the artist, right? The creative, the person who is, has this story that they think that they need to tell. You have to be, you have to move through the world as an artist does. You've got to be sensitive. You've got to be thoughtful. You've got to be vulnerable in order to really take in whatever you need to take in to craft that story. And so that's what you need to write the book. But you have to take off that artist hat. And you have to put on your business hat when it comes to the business of being published because it's not about friendship. And I'm telling you this because I had to learn this the hard way. It's not about you liking your agent or your publisher. Hopefully you do. But at the end of the day, what you need to understand is that you are inventory for these people and that they, they have taken you on because you have created a product that they think they can sell and make money on. And so 
that becomes a different thing. And you have to enter that experience being yourself, of course, but also understanding that this is the business part and this is about money on the table. And it stops being about art and it starts being about something else. And and if you remember that as as the artistic person, you're less likely to get your feelings hurt. That was a really good narration of that. I know it's a lot, but... No, but that's good because I I never thought of it that way. Like you said, so got it when you said it's like your inventory. You are a product that needs to do well. I mean, it's no different really than like if you're an actor, right? You go into those auditions and you know that they might be looking for a certain person. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I say this not being an actor. This is my what I imagine being an mm-hmm. actor is like, but you've got to go in there and try to give them what you believe in, your vision of that character. But also you have to, ma- that has to sync up with what they're looking for. And, and you right. can't, to the best of your ability, take it personally right. when they reject you. And God knows, I had plenty of rejection, plenty yeah. of agents turned me down, yeah. plenty. And it was painful. And the only thing I could do was just think, okay, I just have to keep going. I just, I just need one person to say yes. Yeah. Just one. Do you remember how many you submitted to? How many agents you reached oh out God. to? Well, so the first time I submitted my manuscript, I went to about five agents and that's actually not very many. I mean, people, you hear stories of people submitting to 30, 40 agents, all people who I had personal introductions to, you know, other writer friends who had agents and said, hey, let me pass your manuscript along or, hey, get in touch with my agent. But when I say some of those people, even with those personal introductions, some of those agents didn't even bother to, like, acknowledge that I had sent the manuscript. Nothing. Like, no, hey, thanks. Thanks so much. We'll get back to you. Nothing. And that was painful. That's painful because you've labored over this thing to create it. And somebody can't even do you the courtesy of saying, hey, look, we got it. It's going to take us a while to read it, but we'll get back to you. Some of the agents did do that, but they didn't even, I was like invisible. Yeah. So then you, this is Queen Sugar. So you're in the bookstores and then you get a call from Oprah Winfrey one day and and, then she's going to option your book. Right. Oh, that's no small. Well, yeah. Well, it, I, I wish it had happened quite that simply. You know, it was an, it was another case of kind of being in the right place at the right time. And I'd finished the book. I turned in the manuscript. And like I said, there's like a year long lag between the time you turn in the, the final manuscript and the time it comes out on the shelf. And in that year, I happened to go to an artist residency. And I met this woman who was also there who worked for Oprah's, for O Magazine. And she heard me read from the manuscript. She, I just read a little chapter one night after dinner and she liked it. And she said, have your editor send me an advance galley. And that's what I did. And she actually is responsible for sending that book up the chain to Oprah, who read it. And I guess saw something in the story that she liked and that she saw the potential for an adaptation. And then I got the call, but it was from my agent first saying, hey, you know, we just heard from Oprah Winfrey's people and they want to option your, they want to option Queen Sugar. And I was like, oh, wow. I guess whatever this woman did, it worked. Wow. 
when that get optioned, there, there are so many different ways of that happening as well. That was an interesting process, mostly because, you know, this was like 2000, the book came out in 2014. So this was probably late 2014. There was not really Netflix. I mean, there was, but it's not like it was now. And Maybe there was Apple TV, but there certainly wasn't Amazon and all these streamers and everything. And and so I think for years, I had always imagined when I allowed myself to imagine, oh, what if this could be something, you know, what if I always thought, well, maybe it'll be a feature film, you know? And so in my contract, my the option contract, it had all of these different possibilities. Like it was like, it, we we're going to option this but we may make it into a feature film. We may make it into a TV movie of the week. We may make it into a limited series on premium cable. I mean, they just had all of these different things. And and at the very bottom, it was like, or we may make it into a television series for whatever, not premium cable, but whatever own is. And I just wasn't focused on that at all. I was, cause back then it was like feature film, feature film, feature film. And so when they came back and said that they had decided that they were going to make it into a television series, I was like, Oh, really? Oh, okay. Okay. But it wasn't what I was originally imagining at all. It, it was totally surprising. But you know, now looking back, it's like, well, okay. I can see that they saw the potential for just a story that lives beyond the book. Yeah. And then you have a new book out. We are each other's yeah. harvest. It's a beautiful yeah. book. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How's that going? It's actually going well. It's funny. My creative life is in fiction, I think. And maybe when I kind of drift over into nonfiction, it's like personal essays, you know, creative nonfiction, right? Something that kind of straddles fiction and nonfiction. Not memoir quite, but just something that is in the middle. But when this editor at HarperCollins approached me about doing a nonfiction book project, I was like, oh, okay, wow. Well, I, cause I wasn't focused on that at all. And I thought about it and I, and I had some different ideas about what I wanted to do and, but I couldn't quite settle on anything. And I was already working on a novel at the time and I knew I didn't want to take too much time away from the novel, like with a nonfiction project. And so my agent actually said, well, if you could do anything, like if you could just do anything, what would you want to do? And I thought about it and I was like, well, I could do anything. I think I would want to do a book that somehow focused on African-American farmers, which is a theme in Queen Sugar. And I thought this time I would love to hear from them and I would love to kind of tell, help tell that story in nonfiction. And so that's what I set out to do. But again, with just really, just like a vague idea of what I was trying to do, it's not like the idea came to me fully formed at all. I just had like this vague sense of kind of what I wanted to try to do in the book. And I've said this elsewhere, you know, I remember talking to people and kind of telling them about this nonfiction project. And I was like, I think it should have poetry in it. And I think it should have photographs and all of these different things. And and I would hear myself describe that. And I was actually kind of embarrassed because I felt like, ah, oh, I should know, like, I should know what this book is. Like, I should have a clear vision for it. And I didn't. And I just like had this like gut instinct. And so 
I just kind of followed this trail where it, wherever it led me. And so the book ended up being like this anthology of poems and essays and articles that I commissioned, or there's some Queen, there's an excerpt from Queen Sugar in there, but it all tries to tell the story of Black people's connection to the land in this country from emancipation to the present. And it really ended up being more of a chorus of voices rather than just like a straight history book, which I knew I, it would take me forever to write that kind of book. It would just take me forever. So that's what I ended up doing. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful. And I love that there's poetry and the photography. And I didn't know, you know, I was, I was just remember it come out and, and uh, I just walked to, um, a small bookstore in Soho to order it. And I didn't really know, like I just seen a picture of the cover. I didn't know this is a beautiful big book. This is a visual piece. And I just, I'm, I'm so grateful to my editor, Tracy Sherrod and her team at HarperCollins for that, because they just did a beautiful job of like the color palette is like sumptuous and just so rich and the photography is beautiful and, and they just understood what I was trying to do and then just took that and made this beautiful art out of it, which I really appreciate. I mean, I had the artistic vision, but like they executed on the vision. So yeah, I was very, I was very grateful. It's beautiful. I think I'm very pleased with it. Yeah. It's really beautiful. And what's going on with that product? Is there, you're doing something with it, the book? I mean, is it going to be another project that's going to take on a, the life? Yeah, uh, well, we're trying. We're trying. So as I was working on that book, I kept thinking, like every time I would talk to a farmer or interview a farmer or talk to a historian or something, I would think, oh, this is great that it's in book form, but this could actually be something else. I like. I feel like it could be some kind of like visual documentary something. And so after the, you know, we turned in the book and again, kind of in that year waiting period before it hit the shelves, I started developing this idea for a docuseries based on or inspired by the book, but that is actually more kind of expansive and inclusive to include all farmers, young farmers of color, right? African-American, indigenous, Latinx, Asian, just people of color, because they also have a rich history on the land. And, and there's some important stories to be told. And there's this movement underway among young BIPOC farmers to kind of return to the land. And for all of these rich reasons around social justice and, and equity and land sovereignty and food sovereignty and all that, there's young people are doing some amazing things. And so we're trying to capture that with this docuseries. We'll see how it goes. We, We've, we've shot some footage and now we have to pitch it. I want to see this come to life. I do too. And it's just, and the timing is, it couldn't be better. I think the timing is perfect. I mean, I, even I could not have asked for better timing. I think something is happening in the culture, probably a lot having to do with COVID and what happened with George Floyd last summer. And just there's this activism. And it's a moment. It's, it is the moment. Hopefully people at Netflix or Amazon or who knows will understand that and will give us a chance to make this show. So yeah, I'm just crossing my fingers and toes. You and me both. You and me both. (laughs) I think that that's fabulous. I I love the idea of a docuseries. I'm, I'm a glutton for like those, those like long form stories about big ideas like that. I kind of wanted to back up a little bit though, because 
hearing through your story, you know, you, you worked on Queen Sugar for a long time. It sounds like and at different phases of your life, it took a while to get that idea to its final iteration. So book one, you have basically your whole life until it finally comes out. And then book two happens within a period of a couple years, maybe a few years. What does it look like to, to sit down for book two and write a novel or, well, not novel, but, you know, very complex tapestry of things together? How do you kind of structure your writing time and like stay productive and move a project from start to finish within a relatively small frame of time? Well, there's nothing like a deadline to make you sit at the desk, right? When you like for the farm book, We Are Each Other's Harvest, I told my editor that I could deliver that book in a year, which is insane. But when I started, like I said, I didn't know that it was going to become the book that it became. I I thought that it was going to be a much more modest project. But there's that part of me that once I'm in it, I'm in it. And I'm not going to, if it's not my name on it, it's got to be, I have to be happy with it. So it ended up being a much bigger thing. But to answer your question, in some ways, it was very similar in the sense that it required tremendous discipline. Right now, I'm back here on Martha's Vineyard on vacation, I'm hoping. The last time I was here, I was working on the farm book and I didn't go anywhere. I barely did anything. I sat right back in the backyard at this picnic table every day and worked on that farm book because that's what it took, right? I mean, except to get up and take care of my kids or something, I was at that desk. And so I think to the best of one's ability, it requires, hopefully you love it. Hopefully you love the process. I think you have to love the process because the outcome is not guaranteed, but it takes tremendous discipline, tremendous discipline. And I think in my case, going back to the early days of, you know, working in a business that I did not love. Once I remember I had a friend ask me, you know, she's like, God, Natalie, how do you show up at the desk every day? I could never do that. And I told her, I was like, I spent 11 years of my life doing something I hated. So for me to be able to get up every day, even if I had like, because I had other jobs in publishing, writing related things as I was writing. But for me to get up every day and like go to a job that's writing related that I actually enjoyed or get up every day and sit down at the desk and just like create something was such a gift after that decade plus of being so unhappy that discipline, all I have to do is think about aluminum distribution, which is what I was doing (laughs) and how deadening that was to me and how miserable I was. All I have to do is think about that and like showing up at the desk is not a problem, right? The other thing I would say is another friend of mine, a writer friend said, to the best of your ability, give your work the best hours of your day. And I understand we all have to, you know, most of us have to have a job, right, to support the art. But try to find something that doesn't completely drain you, drain your creativity. If you can have a job that's somewhat flexible so that you can give yourself your best creative hours, whatever those hours are, I think that's important too, because I think there are a lot of great writers out there who, or artists or creatives, whose day jobs drain every ounce of creativity and they get home and no wonder they want to just sit in front of the television and do nothing because they're exhausted. And so I really think it's, it's important, you know, to try somehow to preserve your, the best, your best hours. And also you have to make choices. 
there's a lot of stuff that I will never be good at, that I would love to be good at. But I've, I have poured all of that creative energy into writing. I mean, I would love to learn another language. I would love to play a, an instrument. I think that's a really good and a strong skill to have that you know what works for you, what you do well. And we can count on that whatever book, what project you're going to write is going to be, you're going to do it well. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good product. My husband always teases me about that because like as I'm working, I'll say like, I just want this to be good. And he's like, you always say that. I, I like I can't turn this in until I'm satisfied with it. You know, it's got my name on it. And it's not about perfection. I want to say that. It's not about perfection. Because like I can look at Queen Sugar now and oh my God, I know where all the bar- the bodies are buried. Like I know all of the, the sentences that didn't work, all the chapters that I just like, oh God, that I thought failed in some way. So it's not about holding on to a project until it's perfect. But it is about getting to a point where you know that this is the best possible thing you can produce at the time for this version of you and that you have left it all on the table and that you're not bullshitting yourself. You're not bullshitting yourself, right? right? That's it. And you nailed it that right there with it perfectionism because that's just a sticky doesn't serve anybody it's it's annoying i i i tend to be uh if you're gonna leave me alone with something i could keep picking at it i won't stop until so i just have to like hands up look away you're always going to go back and think oh i could have done that better oh i could have written that better so it's not about that but it is about like when i turned in queen sugar i was like i don't have any ideas i've written the very best version of this book i can write and that was 30 it was 11 years writing that book but i knew when i turned in that final manuscript i was like okay i've given this everything i have that is a long process i mean i'm not saying it shouldn't have taken that long but from now on it's not going to take you that long oh, hopefully and you're working on something that you can't talk about yeah i have the new novel yeah yeah that i'm working on hopefully that won't take 11 years i think that would be a disaster i don't think so we are excited about that so hopefully you will get to enjoy your time on Martha's Vineyard and, and, and not work. What are you excited about to do on your vacation? Read. Just sit down and read. Think about the book I'm reading and what it's about and like how they put it together. I mean, I'm, there's still that part of me that's working, right? Ride bikes, go to the beach, hang out with my kids and their partners and my, you know, my family and just enjoy some warm weather. You know, just just let my mind rest, though, for a couple of weeks and then I'll have to get back to it when I get home. Yeah, that's so important. I've heard people talk about that, like how athletes train their bodies and they take rest because you can't like be an Olympian and just be on every day. We have to have our rest as creatives as well. That really resonates with me. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, because sometimes it's like when you're doing something that's not related, it's like when you get like a great idea. Like for me, it's bike riding. Whenever I'm like riding my bike and I don't know whether it's the repetitive motion or just like being out in nature or something, but like I tend to come up with ideas and it's like, oh, oh, okay. You know, where like if I were just sitting in front of my computer, it it might not happen. So yeah, it's also like when you go to a different location, I feel like you're on the island now. I mean, I'm, I'm here in Iceland right now, just also having that break from New York City, walking outside and it's just so loud and you have to be your different persona. You have like this guard in a way, this totally. sweet smartness. 
And here we can just like, oh, go on, you know, buy fish and, you know, it's yeah. like simplified life. Yeah, exactly. And you see things differently. I feel like you, you do. see things differently, mm-hmm. you know, 100%. I don't know how to explain it. I, I know what you're talking about. Certain things just open up. Totally. And you just never know. Yeah. I like to ask this question. It's sort of the before and after question, like thinking back to when you decided that writing was going to be your your thing and that you're going all in versus now that you've experienced like the top of the mountain, so to speak, with your work, how has your vision of success shifted over the years? Great. It's actually a great question. I think what I have learned or discovered, I've never chased fame. I've never like just wanted to be famous. Like I am totally fine walking down the street. You don't have to recognize my face. I don't need that. I don't need that like recognition. I want people to love my work. I want, I want the work to speak to people. And because I know how I feel when I read a book or see a film or go to a museum and see somebody else's creativity. And it, I know how I feel when it hits me and it's like, Oh, I just love this. You know, that's all I want. Really, that is what I want. I mean, I would like to hopefully make a little bit of money, but I don't need to be recognized on the street. And and it's not that I don't like people. I actually enjoy people and I like to be in conversation with people. And I like to hopefully share my story. And if people are inspired by it, great. But I don't need celebrity. It's not interesting to me. It it feels kind of gross. And I think the the little bit of notoriety that I have had, I see it's weird because you can see in people's like people who want something, there there is there can be like a grasping, icky quality about that that I'm just like, ah, you know, and and I've seen it, I've experienced just a, a tiny bit of that, but I have observed that more with people who have names that are much bigger than mine. And I have seen the way people just flock to them and they're so desperate. And it's just like, oh, and I can just imagine what that's like every day. No, thanks. As long as I have my family, as long as my kids are healthy and on their way in their lives, as long as my relationships are good, as long as I've got good friends who I and, and family who I love and enjoy spending time with, I'm good. And maybe that's because I'm older now, but I think because the this process has been so, it's been such a long road and none of it happened quickly. It seems now like it happened quickly, but it did not happen quickly. I just am very clear. I try to be very clear about what's important to me and it's being engaged with the, the artistic practice. It's being curious. It's hopefully having the chance to explore and ask questions and be in the world because there are characters and stories everywhere. And if I can, if I just have enough time on this earth to r- write down more stories, whether it's in film or books, that's really what I want to do. I don't and have people move by the work. That's what means the most to me. Yeah. Well, you're well on your way with people connecting and being moved by your work and the kids are good. The kids are good. The kids are good. 
and your husband is good. We're, we're married to those crazy brothers. But. <laughs> Mr. Hermit one and Hermit two, right? Oh my God. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Okay. Well, this was so good. Just to, you know, and a lot, you said, you know, something about long-winded. I love getting that whole, we got that whole picture of, I don't think I've heard an author speak about the process like that, going from the agent to the publisher. It's just like a nice, it's a really nice to just hear that the, and see the picture of that detail. Well, I'm glad. I, I hope it's helpful to your listeners. You know, I think a lot of times people give up on whatever artistic practice they're engaged in because like it doesn't happen overnight. And one of the things that I always try to share with writers, you know, I don't know any other artistic practice, but it's that it takes, it, it, it can take a while and that perseverance is, is a huge part of it. There's, but there are no guarantees, right? There are no guarantees. And so you just kind of have to love it regardless. Love it for what it is in, in whatever shape. Like if Queen Sugar hadn't sold, I probably would maybe start another novel and, or if, if I hadn't felt too bru- bruised and beaten up, which I already felt, but I may have gone on to do something else that was creative in some other fashion. If for, to, to me, at the end of the day, I, it's just about being engaged in creating something that's beautiful. Just connecting with that. Yeah. I think it's really important. Seeing it come to life, something that you've created. Something. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Well, you enjoy the vineyard and the good thank weather you. and the bikes and the family and the, and the books and all that. Yeah. Thank you so much. So good. It was amazing. It's a masterclass in so many topics. I'm really excited to get this out there. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, Anna, tell me, did you learn anything new about Natalie today on our interview that you didn't already know? Probably. I feel like I always learn something new when I hang out with Natalie. I did love how she walked us through what it takes to publish a book. And as you've heard, we talked about that in the beginning a little bit. When somebody in your family is doing certain work, accomplishing big things, you in a way, take it for granted. Like, I didn't know what she looked like from the, oh, you know, from the outside or to the outer world in a way. And I did, I Googled her myself and I was like, oh, but I, I think I mentioned that in podcast too. I was very happy to see how authentic she is because that's like, that's who she is. And I guess the, you know, when I was listening to it, I was like a little bit too comfortable, but hopefully it, <laughs> that's okay. It's kind of like hanging out in the living room. What well, did you yeah, think? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we were that comfortable. At least I wasn't. <laughs> I, I think that the conversation really was, was quite revealing about the creative life and what it takes to produce good work. She's, she spoke at length about the difference between high integrity and high effort versus perfectionism. And I think that that's a big thing for, for all of us understanding the difference between excellent and perfect and not letting perfect being become the enemy of excellence because at some point we have to turn it in we have to produce our show we have to get on stage and perform a song we have to turn in our final manuscript to our editor and then life goes on and we may go back and see it with different eyes a year down the road or a week down the road but this this concept of putting your best foot forward doing your best work and then having a for lack of a better word having a deadline having an endpoint to things because it's it's easy to to stay in the world of I'm working on it. And it's harder to say, okay, it's done. It's out there. Yeah, definitely. It took her a while to write her first book. 
I mean, when you start to read her work and you, you know, start to just see what she's doing and, and what her passion is and her voice, you will just know that whatever she's going to do, she's going to do it really well. But then, yes, there is a difference between perfectionist that is just not, doesn't serve us. But whatever she does is really well researched and she's just a beautiful writer too. And I'm excited about, you know, her project that she can't talk about. I know a little bit about it, but I can't say it. But the, the, the book that is, you know, her second book, We Are Each Other's Harvest, is just a beautiful, beautiful piece and also very just inspiring to have around. I think she's very ahead of her time with the African-American farmers and speaking up for them. And then there's a big movement and it's only going to get bigger. And I'm excited what she's going to do with it. The Artist Inclusive podcast is brought to you by the Artist Inclusive Facebook group and artistinclusive.com. Learn more about Artist Inclusive at our website or join our free Facebook group. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, please consider giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts and share this message with somebody that you think would enjoy this podcast. This is how you're able to reach more engaged and impactful artists just like you.